Welcome to A Healthier You, Little by Little. This podcast gives you insights and features various aspects of health, from sleep and stress to immunity, exercise, home workouts, energy, and performance. Here is your host of A Healthier You, Little by Little, Cindy Little. All right, welcome back to A Healthier You, everybody. This is episode 66, and I have an awesome guest here today, and she is probably going to talk about something really important to a lot of people out there that's not really discussed a lot. And the title today is Helping Women Want Sex Again. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, let me tell you a little bit about Jessa Zimmerman. Jessa is a certified sex therapist in private practice in Seattle, where she helps couples who struggle with sex and intimacy. She is also the founder of Desire Spa, an online program for women in otherwise happy relationships who struggle with lack of sexual desire. Welcome to the show today, Jessa. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. So why, why women and why did you become a sex therapist? Let's start there. Well, let's see two different questions. (laughs) Why did I become (laughs) a sex therapist? Um, I was early in my master's program to become a therapist and a sex therapist was doing a, a, like a weekend training that was part of the program. And she said that she considered most of sex therapy to be grief and loss work. And that really hit me uh, like in my gut. I had a visceral visceral response to that because when your sex life isn't working, you're suffering. There is so much pain and loss around that, you know, for the person that doesn't feel the desire for the other one that wishes they were having sex, you know, it's really, really painful for couples. And so that was one of those lightning bolt moments like, okay, I want to do sex therapy. And in my practice, I work with couples of all varieties, you know, same sex, hetero, whatever, um, all kinds of people with all kinds of sexual issues. In my online business, I'm specifically focused on women because I think women have burdens in our society and often are um, feel broken if something isn't working or if they're struggling with desire or carrying the emotional load um, of the household or life or, you know, all these things that could be obstacles to their own desire. So I just really wanted to target women specifically someday. Maybe I'll make a course for men or all genders or whatever, but right now that's my focus. <laughs> all right. Well, so how can women actually want sex again? Like, like what, maybe what are some of the reasons why women uh, don't have sex? Like I, I know for me, I'm, I'm a mother of two, like two, two adult children now. And I mean, going through like raising them, it was always, you're always on a treadmill, like work and (laughs) raising children and, and pleasing everybody. And there's so many balls in the air as a young mom, but now as a mom who has children that are often on their own, um, that leads to maybe different challenges for some people. Right, right. I think there's a couple different things to understand about low desire. Um, Where do I even start? I mean, first of all, there's no amount of sex or sexual desire anybody needs to have that's healthy or right or, you know, it's not like anybody's broken. But I think there's, there's sort of two different things to understand. One is that there are real obstacles to desire. (laughs) Children is a big one, right? Careers, health stuff, menopause, relationship issues, life stresses, caring for parents, you know, worries about the economy or the state of the world or the, you know, uh, the climate, whatever it is, those are all real obstacles to somebody accessing their own desire. 
And so right. part of the process is really understanding what the obstacles are for you, and doing what you can about them. Can't so you know, you can't give your kids away, right? But but what can you do about self-care, creating space or whatever? So that's one half of the equation. Mm-hmm. The other half of the equation is understanding how sexual desire actually works. Because I think we have this idea that we are supposed to just feel desire. That this is sort of like hunger. We're just supposed to want it. And we have this idea that we're supposed to, it's supposed to be on our mind, um, you know, and we're, this is an active sort of drive. But the truth is that for a lot of people, and not just women, but for a lot of people, they have what I call reactive sex drive. So proactive is where it's on your mind and you're seeking this out and you're really interested in sex. Reactive sex drive is what happens when you are not thinking about sex and you are not in the mood. (laughs) You know, it's like maybe the last thing on your mind. But if you got started and if you were connected with your partner and if you got the time you needed and the touch you needed, maybe your body wakes up, right? Maybe all of a sudden you start to get aroused. It's like, oh, now I would like sex. (laughs) And what we don't understand is that that is really normal. That's how sex drive works for an awful lot of people. You know, sometimes 100% of the time, but at least in those times when you aren't in the mood, you could potentially get in the mood if you gave yourself that space. And if you and your partner both realize that, first of all, this is normal, but also just because you start doesn't mean you're going to get there. Like you don't know ahead of time you're going to end up you know, responding to this if the engine is going to turn over. So it takes, it takes a little bit of flexibility. Um, to access that kind of desire. Right. Now, as women, as women age, like let's say the fifties and and some women who are going into perimenopause, it's natural for, and let's talk about menopause as well. Um, I don't know if that's a real thing, but um, men in their fifties have a lower sex drive potentially as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're going to look at generalizations, that's true. We're going to have less proactive sex drive generally as we age and as we're in relationship with the same person longer and longer. Like it's pretty easy in the beginning. The brain chemistry is different in the beginning of a relationship. Our whole brain lights up, right? It's much easier to feel that kind of proactive desire. And as we're with the same person, the brain chemistry changes. And so we're not necessarily, you know, instantly interested just because we happen to see our partner naked or something the same way we might've been early on. So we have to get used to as we're in a long-term relationship and as we're getting older and as other kinds of things are changing in our body's function, uh, having to approach sex differently. Mm. Wow. That's, uh, that's, I never really thought of it that way. Cause I mean, I suppose if you're really in love with your partner and you're really connected with them, you may have better chances or better odds of having more sex, right? <laughs> well, I mean, you're going to have fewer obstacles in your way, right? Right. If the relationship's really solid, then you don't have relationship power struggles or resentment or whatever that might block your desire. But it's not like if, oh, if I love my partner, I'm just going to want sex all the time. We are going to have these physiological changes and often way more reactive desire. We love our partner just as much. I mean, Helen Fisher did these studies where, you know, you look at people new in relationship for maybe, I don't know, the first 18 months and your whole brain lights up when you think of this person, you know, two years in, you're thinking about exactly the same person that you still love. And the only part of your brain that lights up is the same place you keep a grocery list. It's just what, it's just what happens. And Esther, I don't think my husband's going to want to hear that, Jess. (laughs) And Esther Perel wrote this book called Mating in Captivity because, um, 
you know, secure and attached and stable is sort of the opposite of erotic. So we are battling some forces <laughs> in order trying to keep some, some energy or spark really going, right? And we have to, I think what we have to do is accept that this is normal. It doesn't mean you don't love your partner. It doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It doesn't mean something's wrong with your relationship. This is a natural evolution for people, for a lot of people. We just have to get used to approaching it differently. So it's like we're coming, instead of coming in hot, we might be coming in cold, but how do we warm up and create that heat? So then we want sex. Mm, That's good. Now, what if somebody like we had talked about the discrepancy, like, let's say the male wants more sex than the female or the female wants more sex than the male. Like how Mm -hmm. do you, how do you coach people through that? Well, it's important to understand that there is always desire discrepancy in a couple. And that's whether it's hetero, you know, male, female, same sex, it doesn't matter. Someone is going to be more interested in sex than the other person. And it kind of makes sense because why would any two people want like exactly the same amount of sex, right? There's always going to be a discrepancy. Now, it, it can vary in size. It can be a really dramatic one or not that different, but there's always a discrepancy. And it's not that somebody has low desire. They have lower desire, like it's relative to your partner. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes people find that they used to be the higher desire person and now they're the lower desire one in the exact same relationship. Sometimes you've been one role with one partner and a different role with another, like it's a system. It's all relative. And so it's, um, first of all, it's important to understand that nothing's wrong with that. That's normal. And there are some traps people get into into with this because a higher desire person when it's, when it's a problem (laughs) is often taking their partner's lower desire personally. Oh man. They're feeling rejected. Uh They're feeling like they're not important, right? They think it's about them. And so then they start this whole cycle, you know, they can really kind of spin about that. Right. Um, And then what'll happen is sex becomes like a test. Like you should have sex with me. So I feel good about myself, which doesn't (laughs) exactly make it engaging for your partner. Right. And the lower desire person, first of all, tends to feel broken. And often their partner thinks they're broken too. Like, what? why don't you want more sex? Like something's wrong. Um, they often take sort of a passive role because like, I'm okay. We're not really having sex. It doesn't bother me that much. So I'm not that motivated to do something about it. Right. Like sometimes people are coming in, like into my program, like they want to, they want to fix this because their partner is unhappy. But when you're not feeling a lot of drive, you're not missing this thing. In fact, I can't even tell you how many people I've had tell me if it were up to me, I could go the whole rest of my life without sex and be just fine because they just aren't feeling any of that proactive desire. So there's a trap there in terms of being too passive or just letting this be without taking an active role to figure out how could sex be engaging? How can we create the environment I need to have reactive desire show up sometimes? Hmm. And, and let's talk about, like, I, I know I did a podcast on the seas of a relationship and communication and compatibility and chemistry were, were part of those seas. And like, I feel personally in our relationship, like sex bonds us, like it makes us stronger and it makes us happy. It makes us, um, and, and so when I, when I was in my younger years, I had friends that didn't have as much sex as me. And whenever they were upset with their husband or they were in a fight with their husband, I'd say, just have sex. It'll make everything better. <laughs> it, it might not be true, but. 
<laughs> there's so much to respond to in there. Let me see if I can keep my <laughs> thoughts straight. First of all, there's no amount of sex that is right or healthy. So if two people are happy together and both are happy not having sex, they're fine. There is not a problem. So it's okay. not like, oh, we have to have sex to bond us or to have a healthy relationship. Right. The question is, are both people actually happy with what's happening? Right. Because what we ideally want is a sex life that is truly working for both people. doesn't matter how much sex that is. <laughs> right. Um, it's also true that often in a couple, one person really needs to feel connected to want sex. Yeah. And the other person finds that connection through sex. Like that's where their heart opens. And this is a little stereotypical, but in, you know, in, it's thought of, I don't know how accurate this is, but in general, right. Men um, need sex to feel connected or that's the place in which they feel really connected. It's not just about getting off or something. And women might need to feel connected before they're open to having sex. So it's a little chicken and egg. <laughs> so while there is some truth to, wow, if you're disagreeing with your partner, have sex might help. It could, if your partner finds connection through sex, because then you're opening the story of connection and it could be the beginning of a positive cycle. Mm -hmm. But you also can't just always have sex for your partner and no. sustain that. No, right. Like eventually people, you know, because certainly I see this in my practice, too. Somebody's having sex for their partner because they should because it's been so long and ultimately they're going to hit a wall. Sex like needs to be engaging for both people to really continue to want to do it. You know, otherwise it becomes a chore. That's yeah, that makes sense. Totally. And and I mean, if if it's just one person wanting the sex and the other one doesn't want the sex, then then the person who is giving in to having sex, that's, I don't want to use the R word, but it, it would be against their will to have the sex. Well, it's not, it's not exactly against their will, but it might be a, a, against their own self-preservation or it's certainly, this is where sex becomes a chore and an obligation. If they're just going along with it for their partner over and over and over without getting anything from it for themselves, mm -hmm. that's, that's not going to be sustainable. And what I'll, what I'll see is if, you know, they may do that even for years and eventually hit a point where they just can't anymore right. um, because it just isn't, we can't give from an empty cup, you know? Yeah. So, so part of the conversation is how could this physical intimacy be engaging for you too? What do you need? You don't need to get the same kind of sexual pleasure out of it as your partner. If you don't want to, I mean, let's exhaust those possibilities first, <laughs> but it, could it be, could you receive other kinds of touch or affection or how, you know, how can this be a mutually satisfying experience? Mm -hmm. That's well, just such an important part. Yeah. And they say even just hugging increases your oxytocin levels and dopamine levels, and it helps you feel relaxed and, and it decreases stress that, and, and so even hugging other formats of, of yeah. yeah, yeah, intimacy. Right. Right. So if, if the most, I mean, first I want to help people explore what's possible for them. What are these obstacles that are in the way, right? Let's do what we can about those. Let's explore what physical intimacy could feel like for you and what could be the most pleasing and how could you have some sexual pleasure in this too. But even if, even if you can't somehow, which would be relatively rare, but if you really can't, maybe you want your feet rubbed or massage or get your hair brushed or, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, as long as there's something fulfilling for you in the exchange, then it's sustainable. Mm hmm. And so like when people say they have sex, let's say once a week or once a day or once a month, 
you're saying that it doesn't matter how often, and there's no real average, is there? Well, I mean, there may be an average, but it's irrelevant. <laughs> right. Yeah. I guess it doesn't, so. it doesn't matter how much, as long as it feels like it's mutually, you know, it's working for both people. Right. It, and it can't be a math problem. It can't be, I want sex once a week and my partner wants four times a week. So we'll just do you know, whatever that would be too. You know, we can't just average it. It's not about frequency. It's about, is this engaging for both of us? Right. Are we both, you know, and the other, the other thing to introduce here is the idea of what even counts as sex. Like if we can have way more flexibility, <laughs> I mean, the way I talk about this to people is sex is like going to the playground. It's the outing that counts. It doesn't matter what we do when we get there. So it's not like all about going down the slide. It's like, let's just go and play and explore and see what we end up in the mood to do and see how long we want to stay. And let's just enjoy whatever it is. And if you can treat sex like that, as opposed to, you know, we're, we're either having sex or not having sex. We're either doing this particular thing that we think is sex to a particular outcome or we're not. It's like, why don't we treat all this physical affection as sex and open it up for more, um, you know, like take the pressure off of it. I like that. So, you know, I and like then the free, the frequency can go up because there's less pressure on what happens. Because right. again, somebody with lower desire, somebody with reactive desire is likely to avoid physical intimacy unless they're sure they can have sex. Whereas if we can have the sort of playground idea and take all that pressure off, all of a sudden there's room to go in there and start. And then some percentage of the time their desire even kicks in and it would never have happened if they just said no up front because they were, you know, the expectation was they had to go through with the whole thing. Hmm. Now. Yeah. I like that analogy of a playground um, and just going out and playing and seeing where it leads to. Yeah, exactly. And there's, there's no pressure and there's no failure. You can't fail it. Now it does take both people embracing that attitude. If either person is like, this needs to happen or it's bad or it's a failure, that's going to, there's still going to be pressure. So we need both people to really rethink what's happening and create that flexibility. Mm -hmm. Now, do you deal with people in their seventies, eighties, nineties? Like how, how does that look for sex? I haven't had clients yet in in their nineties. I think the oldest cl- couple I've seen has been maybe early eighties. Um, you know, it's a reality that our bodies are going to change over time. We're certainly not going to look the way we did when we were twenty or thirty. <laughs> Fine, hard, okay, Jess. Yeah, I know, I know, but we're still not going to be mistaken for a twenty year old. Um, and there are changes in sexual functioning. You know, the tissues change, the blood flow changes. It can be harder to get physically aroused, whether that's have an erection or lubricate for women or whatever. Um, we have, we're sort of constantly having to adapt to the realities of our situation. But again, if you can be more flexible about what counts as sex and just be focused on pleasure and connection and not outcome, you can do this till the day you die. Yeah. That was just, that was more like a curiosity question. Like (laughs) I'm praying and hoping that I can have sex in my eighties and (laughs) nineties. Yeah, exactly. There's no reason you can't, unless you're tied to a very particular, like sex is this particular thing. Who knows if you can do that or not, or at least a hundred percent of the time, right? Like our bodies are going to change. Yeah. That's the unfortunate thing, (laughs) but I guess it's a natural progression as well. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, people that come into like my therapy practice, you know, whether it's about lower desire and desire discrepancy or some sort of sexual dysfunction, there's sort of a gift in these challenges 
because you really do have to rethink sex. You have to rethink what counts. You have to rethink how you're approaching it. Like it's a whole paradigm shift. And that opens up so much to a couple. And so in some ways, you know, gosh, if this happens to you at 30, you're way ahead of the curve instead of having to deal with this at 70 when your bodies aren't working the way they used to work. Right. Now you have an online program. What can you tell us a little bit about that and why you started it? Yeah. So, uh, well, first, first what happened is I wrote my book called sex without stress and I published that in 2018. And it's basically, it's basically a program for couples to follow who are struggling with desire discrepancy and especially sexual avoidance, which is a sort of an outcome of that kind of pressure that people feel. And it became clear that in the book, I sort of had developed a process that people could follow. And so over the course of several years, at this point, that's become the course called Desire Spa. So specifically for women where the relationship is basically good, but sex is the issue and they're the lower desire person. They're the one less interested in sex. It's a place for them to work through that process on their own in private, (laughs) deal with the kinds of obstacles, understand what's at play. And then there's a whole segment that they can bring their partner in because again, the partner has to change the way they're thinking and behaving too. It it takes change on on both sides. Right. Hmm. Okay. Now, how long is the program? Like, how does it work? Well, it's, um, it's however long somebody needs it to be. <laughs> it's a, I think it's about 30 videos. So my, my, my thought was they're like 10 or 15 minutes, maybe. So my thought was, oh, a video a day, but then there's some homework. There's some reflection questions and some journaling. And, and then of course, once you bring your partner in and you've got conversations to have and exercises to do, you know, that kind of builds on the initial material, but people can all work through it at their own pace. So it's not like it, it takes a certain amount of time. It's just people can go through it. Now, is whatever that, is, pace suits them. Now, I, I see that you also have some kind of free training and that's uh, at your website. Yeah, I have a, I have a free webinar, like a masterclass, how to want sex again. So it isn't a chore. So it's a really good place to start for anybody who's intrigued about any of this to watch that training and then see what these ideas do in terms of opening up possibilities and giving you hope where you might've thought it was hopeless and at the end of that, I talk more about the desire spot and give a discount if people decide they want to enroll. That's awesome. And that's at www.intimacywithease.com slash masterclass, right? Right, right. Okay. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. And your website is intimacywithease.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It was originally, you know, sex without stress, which is the name of my book. And then I found out that Facebook blacklists you for having sex in the URL. So I (laughs) rebranded everything. I didn't retitle my book, but I had to rebrand everything and a new website and all this stuff to take. I mean, here I am a sex therapist, right? And I can't use the word sex. It's like kills me. That's crazy. It's crazy. So now it's intimacy with ease. Yeah. Well, that's nice too. Yeah. And, and you, and you have a group on Facebook and Instagram. Or you could just follow your, is it you that they follow on Instagram or is there a special name? Uh, is intimacy with ease. Okay. On, on Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Cool. On Facebook. And I have on Facebook, I've got a group for couples that are interested in easy intimacy and for women who want to want sex. <laughs> so two different Facebook groups that people could, could find. And can people reach out to get a consult with you if they feel it's warranted? Uh, I only, as a therapist, I only practice in Washington state. So if people are interested in working with me directly, they'd have to be in Washington. Okay. Yeah. All right. But get the book, read the book, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Read the book, do the webinar. I've got all kinds of resources, you know, on intimacy with ease to help people. 
Well, this is just amazing, Jessa. Thank you so much for coming on today. You are um, welcome. You know, sex is such a huge part of, of personal health and being okay with where you're at is, is probably great for your mindset and for easing the stress that you may be holding on to. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's certainly beneficial for your physical health to be sexually active, but I think the bigger impact is emotional health. If you feel broken or it's creating distance in your relationship, those take serious tolls. So totally. Yeah. yeah. Is there any last uh, piece of advice that you want to give Jessa? I mean, I think the main message that I would preach here is that you aren't broken. Sexual struggles do not mean you're broken, do not mean something's wrong with you or your partner or your relationship. They're they're really normal. So, you know, approach it with like, how, you know, what can we do about this? Not, oh my gosh, we need to pretend this isn't happening or avoid it. Right. Yeah. Avoidance is never good in any situation, really. Right. Right. (laughs) Especially (laughs) sex. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much again, Jessa. And uh, I look forward to reading your book and, and following you on Facebook and Instagram. Well, thanks. All right. Now, for those who haven't uh, been able to rate this podcast yet, uh, please go over to Apple iTunes and and rate it and, and give uh, like even if you like this episode with Jessa, we'd love to hear your comments. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks for listening to A Healthier You, Little by Little. Do you have a question about something you heard today? An idea for a topic, perhaps? Or would you like to reach out to Cindy? Send her an email, coachcindylittle at gmail.com. Or visit her website at healthtowealth.ca. That's health2wealth.ca. Or you can find Cindy on LinkedIn or Facebook as Cindy Little. Once again, thanks for listening.